Good morning, church family. How are y'all doing? Good. That's a little bit better than when we first started. I'm proud of you guys. All right. Hey, I just want to say a special welcome to everybody who's online with us too. Thank you for being here with us today. I know I'm not Buddy Bell, but I'm really excited to be here with you today and to talk to you about a moment that changed my life. We've been talking a lot about moments and have you ever had a moment that like changed your life in an instant? Right? We as humans are conditioned to think that like things just change overnight, but they really happen over time. But to us and in, um, in, like our mortal minds, right? Sometimes it seems like things can just shift for the better or for the worse in an instant. See, one of those for me was the birth of my son. I can remember being so afraid, right? I was terrified of being a dad. In fact, right, I was the teenager as a kid. I had super ADHD, still do, right? Sometimes Mr. Gale has to calm me down during staff meetings because I just get going, right? And so no one ever handed me a baby as a kid, right? Any other guys in the crowd like that or females? Yeah? And so I came and the first time I ever held a kid, right, a newborn baby, was when I went at 20 years old to visit uh, the youth minister who gave me his first job, my first job. And I came, and I was his intern, he was like, hey, hold my son. And I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. And so as I was doing this, right, I go and I pick up this child, and, and I missed one vital key thing that no one in my whole entire life had ever told me. You're supposed to support the neck, right? Everybody that knows it knows it. But some of you here are just like me and you're like, wait, you hold the neck, right? And so I pick up this child and I hold it for the first time, right? And I, it's like a Simba moment, right? And I'm picking it up and whoop, and then yelling happens. And I pick the baby up and I go, oh, no, 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 no. And they take it away from me, Right? I never held a child again until I was 28. No joke. Because I was so afraid of hurting those children. And so I'm packing up my stuff, going to the hospital. And I am terrified. Not only of, like, am I going to break this baby, but also of, like, the actual weight of being a father. And I'm worried the whole time. I can remember sitting up. uh, We're waiting for Judah to be born. It's 3 a.m., Steph's in pain, and I'm just praying, God, please make me a good dad. Make me a good dad. 6 a.m., my life changed, and I held my newborn son in my hands. In an instant, everything changed. The worry, the anxiety, the frustration, the pain of, oh, no, I might not be a good dad changed in that moment, and I held my son, and I supported the neck, right? And I held him, and my life changed for the better. Some of you may be thinking of a lot of different situations right now, but you know what I'm talking about. In an instant, everything can change. And so I'm going to pick out a story today in John chapter 3 that might, at first glance, not seem like everything might change. But I'm telling you, Jesus is offering the world to this man. So let's open up John chapter 3. But before we do that, let me set the scene with who is Nicodemus, right? 
a lot of times we get ahead of ourselves because we've heard these stories for so much of our lives that we just jump in. But right, there are people in here maybe that have never heard the gospel before, so let's stop and let's set the scene, right? So Nicodemus, this is who he is. He is a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee is a common knowledge, and they're kind of the bad guys in the story of Jesus, right? But a lot of us don't know why. And the reason is, is they have taken law upon law upon law, and they put laws where God never meant them to be. In fact, there was one that I was reading this week as I was studying that was ridiculous to me, and I just want to share it with you. See, they couldn't tie knots. It was a sin to tie a knot. They had gotten that far because they couldn't work on the Sabbath, right? So they had gone and they had taken all these tiny, small laws. And so for a man to tie a knot to the bucket of his well was a sin. So, being smart Pharisees, here's how they got around. Their wives could tie little bows and things like that on their garments. So the Pharisees were going around, right? And they were tying, leaving the buckets tied on Saturday or on Friday, and then tying it to their wives. And their wives would back that bucket down the well and then pull it right back up. Now, any of you going to do that to your wife today? Anybody? Right, but this is how far it's gone. This is what being a Pharisee is, is testing to the minuteness law, being afraid at every moment that you might just lose your salvation. He was also a man of wealth. John chapter 19 actually shows the only other time that we see Nicodemus come into the story where he comes at night again, as we're going to talk about in a minute, and he brings a lot of aloes and spices to prepare the body of Jesus to be buried so it doesn't stink. The equivalent in modern day thought is about $1,500,000 to $200,000 worth of spices that this man brought. So this guy is a man of wealth, right? You don't just spend a lot of money on herbs and spices if uh, you don't have that money, right? And the final thing is that he is a ruler of the Jews. In fact, they think that Nicodemus may have been the one that goes and talks to the Roman government right before 90 AD or his son. Before the Roman government comes and sacks Jerusalem for its insurrection. Now, I don't care that you remember every single word that I say, but I think it's important to paint the picture of who he is. This guy is the guy. He's a politician. He's the lawyer of all lawyers. And when he walks in the room and he asks you something, you do it. This is the man who's coming to speak to Jesus. And so what we see here in this moment is something very interesting. The ruler of the Jews comes to meet Jesus, to tell him something. We're going to see what Jesus tells him. Let's jump in. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Let's hold up right there. Why? Why does this man come at night? Remember what we've already set up. This man is a politician and a lawyer. Now, I don't want to set and paint a picture, right? We got some lawyers in here and some politicians. There are some great lawyers and politicians that fight for good, right? And this man thinks he's fighting for good, but he comes at night because he wants to make a deal with Jesus that no one else can see. 
And he knows that no one else needs to know about what's about to happen. So he comes at night. Let's keep going. And said to him, Rabbi, you know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Right? Politician, he's buttering him up. Right? Here comes the ask. You know what I'm saying? And then Jesus comes with a really strange reply. Right? If I answered what I'm about to answer to you, some guys, like if I went up to Jason Furr today and he said, hey, Wes, I, you know, I just, I really enjoy being around you and, and you're just a good youth minister. And I looked at him and I, and I said to him, hey, what, what are we eating today? Right? Just out of the blue. Right? That's not normal human interaction. And so it seems very odd what Jesus is doing. But what I will remind you is this, that Jesus knows the heart of man. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay. Nicodemus is caught off guard. And he asks a really weird question. Can I be born again? What does that even mean? And so we want to look at these two meanings of what Jesus is saying here. Actually, in the Greek, there's a playfulness. John often uses these words in his gospel that can mean two things at once. And so the meaning of born again can literally mean be born of a womb again, be born of your mom again. Or it can mean born above, from above, or of God. So we sit here and Nicodemus, being the literal lawyer that he is, is saying, can I be born again of my mom? But Jesus is saying to him, Nicodemus, I want you to be born again of God. And so the strange conversation continues. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I have said to you. You must be born again. See here, Nicodemus' jaw has hit the floor because Jesus doubles down on what he's saying, and yet he still doesn't understand what's going on. And Jesus comes in with an analogy. Another double play of the words. He said, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, this word wind can also be translated Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is, is like, we know how powerful the wind is. Okay, I didn't know how powerful the wind could be in Montgomery, Alabama. All right. When I moved here from Tennessee, I wasn't used to the straight line winds that we have here. I had this really nice gas grill that I had bought when I was up in Fayetteville, Tennessee, and I had put it back. And I had to take the propane tank out of it because obviously it's not safe to travel with a whole tank of propane across country, right? And so I took it out. And so when I get here, I kind of forget about it. And you know how things go when you move. You don't ever get everything in its place, right? I forgot to get the propane tank which really weighs that thing down. And one day, one of those straight line winds came in. 
Big storm was happening. And I watched from my living room window into my backyard as one of those straight line winds took that grill and just rammed it straight in to my fence. And needless to say, propane grill is no more, right? (laughs) And so we sit here and Jesus says, you know the power of the wind, although you can't see it. And what I'm actually telling you is it's the same with the spirit. You may not see it, but the power is very real. And Nicodemus doesn't understand. See, because Nicodemus comes in and he is looking with an earthly lens. And I want to talk to you for a minute about an earthly lens versus a spiritual lens. A lot of you probably, I've never wore glasses around anybody here before because I'm frankly a little uh, conscientious of wearing it just because I never have before. And right, there's a part of me as being West, like, I don't need to wear glasses, right? But I need them to read because you can see if you haven't noticed, I keep my Bible pretty close when I'm reading. And so if I put this on, I can see now, right? But if I take them off, I got to pull it right back up here. Now, if I look out at you guys, I'm blinded. Not only the lights, but these glasses. If you've ever worn a pair of sunglasses or normal glasses, you know the difference between having them on and being able to see and taking them off and not. And see, it's the same here with Nicodemus. They're talking about two different realities. One using an earthly lens and the other using a spiritual And so here's the earthly lens that Nicodemus is looking through, okay? Nicodemus is there because he's curious about the power of the Spirit. Being a lawyer and a politician in this moment, he is looking at the power of Jesus and he's saying, hey, come and be a part of this Pharisee party. It'll be good for me. It'll be good for you. Because we could be something great. And if we can harness that power of the Spirit, right, we can do big things. Go to the next slide. Nicodemus wants to use the power of the Spirit, but what he doesn't understand is the power of the Spirit cannot be used. The power of the Spirit cannot be used or manipulated by man because the truth about the power of the Spirit is that it transforms whatever it touches because it is the holiness of God. And so when the Holy Spirit enters into our lives, what it does is it shakes things up. It takes sinners and it makes them saints. And it begins a process of sanctification that leads us away from who we were to who we are called to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I love about this moment is that Nicodemus just doesn't get it. And frankly, I don't think we do sometimes either. We don't understand that the power of the Spirit can transform us if we let it. Let's go to the next one. The spiritual lens which Jesus is trying to get him to look through is that the Spirit will cleanse and transform him if he chooses to receive it. Right? Those in here who have received the Holy Spirit through the waters of baptism know what I'm talking about. You're not who you were, and you're not 
now who you will be in two weeks because the Spirit, as long as you let it, is going to continue to transform you into a heavenly being. And so we come back to the story knowing this lens now and seeing what Nicodemus sees. And we continue on. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus said, Are you not a teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand the things which I am saying? Right? He's saying, if you don't get it, how is anybody else going to? You're the guy that has dedicated your life, your whole life, to getting every single detail right. How, if I tell you of heavenly things, is anybody else going to get it? And then he starts going on the offensive to all the Pharisees, right? His views change, and it's hard for us to see this because in English, we don't have this, right? There's a royal we, a you all, and we call it in the South, a y'all, right, that Jesus starts using. And so as I'm reading this, it's going to look a little bit different, but I want you to hear exactly what Jesus is saying. Truly, truly, I say to you all. We speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. See, what Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus is that he says, you don't get it because you don't see what's happened. I am of heaven and I've came down. And I'm here to teach you how to live a heavenly life here on earth. But you're so focused on earth that you're missing out on heaven. Let me say that again. You're so focused on earth, you're missing out on heaven. And then he reminds them of an instance in the Jewish people. He says, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. See, he's reminding him of this time way back in Exodus where the people of God have again given in to adultery. Or uh, idolatry, not adultery. That too, probably. But let's keep going. Um, What's happened here is that snakes have came and they've bitten the ankle, right, of all these people. And they're dying of the venom. Because God has sent snakes into the camp to uh, punish them for their sin, right? Because he's already warned them like three times about this. And he tells Moses, hey, here's this staff and put this golden serpent on it. And I'm going to lift it up and all who see it will be healed, right? And what Jesus is doing, he's saying, that's what it's going to be like when I'm lifted up on the cross. Anyone who accepts me will be healed. And that's good news, church. That's not the best news Jesus has to tell Nicodemus because there's one little thing he leaves him with. That's the coolest thing that he's going to say. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. See, let's go to this next slide. Nicodemus still has on his earthly lens, right? He's still got his glasses off. He can't see clearly. And he's still stuck thinking Jesus wants him to literally be reborn. But what Jesus is doing, right? Let's go to the next one. Jesus leaves him with a spiritual promise and invites him into eternal life today through baptism. 
He's saying, let me baptize you with the power of the Holy Spirit and invite you into a new reality. Start thinking about heavenly things and stop thinking about earthly things. He's saying, put your glasses on, Nicodemus. And I want to tell you this truth. Eternal life is not far off. It can start today. Now that seems weird for a lot of people because I was taught, just like you were taught when I was really young, that heaven is the only time I receive eternal life. But what I'm telling you, as soon as you put on Jesus, eternal life starts that moment. God is changing you into a heavenly being. And you haven't yet received it. They're still hurt. They're still struggling. There's still strife because we still live in a broken world. But guys, this is heaven, amen? This room is a part of my great cloud of witness. And every week I am reminded of the reality that heaven is just a phone call away to a brother or sister who knows Jesus Christ. But the question that I'm left with is how, right? How? How do I receive eternal life today? And I've already talked about one, and Jesus has been alluding to it the whole time, and he's offering you today. Put on your glasses. Put on the Father and his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. That's an invitation today that Jesus is quite clearly alluding to, to Nicodemus. He's saying, hey, I'm not telling you be born of your mom again. I'm telling you be born from above, be born of God and put on those lenses that help you see the way that God sees. And there's another way. You can turn back. You can turn back because here's the thing. Sometimes we talk about the spirit as if God or the spirit just disappears. I don't believe that. Maybe you do, but I don't. Sometimes I think we stop listening to the power of the Spirit and therefore our lives stop transforming. Sometimes we say, God, I don't want to go any further. I can't take any more. And he relents. He says, okay, I'll meet you where you're at. I'll sit here until you're ready to go another step. But here's the thing, if today you came into this room and Satan has had your face down in the mud, what Jesus is inviting you to is to stand back up because you are a beloved heavenly child of God and nothing can separate you from his love except yourself. And so here we are, in this moment, the same moment that Nicodemus sits in. The story, most scholars think, ends here. There's no resolution. We know that Nicodemus comes back. He comes back again at Jesus' death and buries him at night. No mention if he's a follower or not. But I think 
the scripture does this for a very important reason. It stops right here because it wants to ask you a question. Is this a moment that you will let change your life? Is this the moment you will let change your life? Are you willing to put him on today? Are you willing to turn back to him? And I want to share one verse with you today that I think is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture. Romans 8, verse 11. Will you pick it up with me real quick? I'm going to put on my lenses so I can see this heavenly Scripture. All right? It's the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, it lives in you. And just like Jesus invited Nicodemus into eternal life in that moment, he's inviting you today. Will you let this moment change your life? Thank you.